0: This is In-Ear Insights, the Trust Insights podcast. In this week's In-Ear Insights, we are talking about Google Analytics tracking codes and the order in which Google Analytics both uh, the classical version GA three or universal analytics and Google Analytics four, the way that they work. Because one of the things that happens is that people kind of just do stuff with Google Analytics and hope that it works out, and you know, that's generally speaking not not a great strategy. So, Katie, when you watch people use things like UTM tracking codes, what do you see as uh, as sort of the general best practices for that?
1: Well, I feel like that's two different questions. What do I see with people using them, and what are the best practices? <laughs> and so, never the two shall meet. Um, No, in general, I often see a lot of, um, you know, common mistakes with UTM codes, you know, putting in the wrong kind of source, not uniformly listing out here the accepted source mediums for our organization having any sort of governance. Um, We know that even as smart as Google is, technology is only as good as the information you put in. So it's that old garbage in garbage out thing. And so making the assumption that Google can figure it out what you were trying to do is not a great way to start. And so you have to start with what are the source mediums that are acceptable to me that I understand that my organization recognizes and mirror that with the standard source mediums that Google tends to accept. And that's your major digital channels, your, you know, your search organic, you know, direct paid, whatever the thing is, and make sure that you have those locked in to say, these are the only ones that we can use. And if we need to create something custom, then it has to be an agreed upon and fall within the conventions of what Google understands. Because in Google Analytics three, the universal, you have the opportunity in the admin section of your instance to make changes to the channel settings the channel groupings and so you know for example making sure all the different kind of email service service providers get categorized as email that's something that you can do in the settings in google analytics 4 at least as of right now they don't give you that option to change those channel groupings so you as the person creating the utm codes Has to make sure that you are nailing all of those in order for Google to categorize your data correctly. Otherwise, what's the point of even capturing the data if it's all going to come in wrong?
0: Exactly. So Google helpfully has actually published a chart. Uh, a flow chart uh, that explains the order of operations in which it, it tries to interpret data and tries to pull it apart. And having that knowledge helps us understand as markers what it is that we need to do. So I'm going to go ahead and share my screen here. If you are listening to this instead of watching, go on over to the uh, Trust Insights YouTube channel. Go to trustinsights.ai/slash YouTube and you can see uh, what we're sharing here. Let's go to the top of this chart. So this is the processing flow chart for Google Analytics. Let me make this a little bit bigger here. At the very st- uh, Start once a visit hits your website and the Google Analytics tracking code fires. The first thing it asks is, "Do I see a gclid?" The g uh, the gclid is Google's uh, Google Ads uh, click tracking. That's the first thing it looks for. If that is set, Google immediately says, "I'm going to attribute this to Google AdWords." And I'm going to go ahead and set the sources Google, the medium as CPC and then whatever the the campaign date is that's being passed in from Google ads. So Google's automatically going to (laughs) say, our stuff comes first. Um, No surprise there. second thing that happens in order is Google looks for campaign source, this is not the UTMs yet, this is campaign source. So there are other paid systems, Uh, good ad tech providers use campaign source campaign medium. And so Google is going to say, if I see a campaign source, I'm going to give credit to whatever that paid channel is next. One of the fundamental rules of Google Analytics is paid, always overrules unpaid. Um, That's one of the things that they they're very clear about, like they want to make sure that if you're spending money on your marketing, that you are, uh, you're seeing it correctly in in the in the data. So that's rule two. Uh, Rule three, Do I have parameters? This is where the UTM codes come into place. UTM source medium campaign content or term, the two that are essential that you have to have set are source and medium. Uh, If you don't have those set, things tend to break, uh, which is really bad. This, this is really important, because if a UTM code is detected, Google stops processing, right? So if you've got something, for example, where you've only put UTM source, and you didn't put medium, Google's gonna say not set, I don't see anything else. It's not going to try to guess Oh, it came from Facebook, or it came from uh, your blog, it just says I'm stopping, I see the UTMs, I'm stopping, we're done. And so you have to use the at least source medium, if not more than that. And so these are the first three things that Google looks for. If they're not there, then Google flips over into playing the guessing game. And this is where things get ugly. So next step is is there a document referrer? The document referrer essentially is the where did this visitor come from? If it's known, Google then checks, is it a known search engine? And if it is, um, then Google will say this is probably the search engine, the channel, the medium is organic, and we'll try to assign things from there. If it's not known uh, as a search engine, it, it moves on. Um, and we'll try to set, you know, as a referral traffic, there's actually a part that's missing here. Um, uh, from this chart, this charts a little bit older. Uh, there's a part missing here, which says, Is it a known social media source? And if it is, it will do medium social, uh, that gets executed. Um, and then we scroll down. And then Google asks, Is there existing campaign data for the client or the user, the property ID? Um, and if there is Google will say, I'm, and you know, it's not timed out, we're going to assign it the previous source medium. That's really important. If somebody, for example, um, clicks on your link to your blog from, say, Twitter, and then later on, just types in the name of your blog, because that traffic comes in as direct, it doesn't have attribution, on. Google will look back. And as long as it's with the timeout period, it will say, Oh, this person came back. But the last known source for was Twitter. So I'm going to give credit to this, you know, this this interaction, as Twitter, as long as this is within that that time, uh, timeout period, if it's outside that timeout period, then uh, Google will essentially say, I don't know what it is. And then if all else fails, Google says, okay, I'm calling it directed none because I don't know what to do with this thing. When we look at this, it speaks to the importance of those UTM tracking codes. Because if we do that here, Way up higher in this chart, we stop Google Analytics from trying to guess and assign things later on. Uh, we say, This is what it is. And the joke we made in our YouTube video on introducing this was UTM stands for you tell me. You know, Google Analytics is asking, You tell me what to do with this information. And if we have those codes in place, then it becomes much easier for the software to uh, assign credit for sessions where it belongs.
1: So it sounds like the bottom line is you need some sort of governance to make sure that you're A, using UTM codes, B using the correct ones, and C, everybody's on the same page. Otherwise, what's going to happen is you're going to get a big old bucket of direct none and have no idea where things came from or where to attribute credit. And we've seen that happen a lot. Um, but it is something that's fixable. It's something that's fixable over time but you then don't have that historical data to rely on because you don't know where it came from.
0: Exactly. And there's actually some things you can do if you're not following the, you know, governance and, and uh, procedures correctly that can make things even worse. <clears throat> so one of the things that happens with UTM codes is that when Google detects a change in a UTM code, it starts a new session. It says, "Hey, this is it looks like it's a different source or medium, I'm starting a new session. So one thing that we tell people all the time, never, ever, ever use UTM tracking codes on your own website. Because what happens is Katie comes into trust from say organic search. Mm-hmm. And we have a link on there for some strange reason. You know, maybe it's a link to a landing page on our site that has UTM codes, the parameter Katie clicks on that. And suddenly Google says, Ah, new session. And now, uh, if she converts, Katie is now given credit for uh, uh, you know whatever that UTM tracking code was. Even if it doesn't have a source medium, if it has any UTM parameter, it starts a new session. Which means that suddenly organic search no will no longer get credit for that conversion because we broke the session, we Mm -hmm. broke um, that continuity. So it's one of those things that like we tell people never use UTM codes on your own website because you're just going to hose your attribution totally.
1: Yeah, your website is its own contained asset. UTM codes are meant to be used on everything outside of your website. So even if it's your own email newsletter, or, you know, your own um, content that's being shared outside of your website, anything that lives outside of your main domain needs to have some sort of UTM tracking, so you can tell what where it's coming from when it's coming back into the mothership. And so if it's your email newsletter that will eventually live on your website, if you're sending it out via your email service provider or your marketing automation system, you need to have that source medium of email and newsletter or whatever it is for you. Um, so that if people are like, clicking on links within the newsletter back to your website, you know that they came from the newsletter to your website, and your newsletter is doing the hard work of driving traffic.
0: Exactly right. <clears throat> and the old the the other thing that's really important is that for undistributed sources, um, Google calls them direct none when well, you see here's the very at the very bottom, one of the rules inside Google's processing engine is if I have direct none, and the session hasn't timed out, and I have a pre existing um, source medium from say a UTM code, I'm going to give continuing credit to that original source medium. So if somebody say clicks on a Facebook ad and goes to your website, and then they open an email from you in within that session timeout period, and your email doesn't have those UTM tracking links on it, then even though somebody clicks on the email, the Facebook is still going to get credit for it because it's going to come in as direct none from the email Google's like, well, I don't see where this came from. And this person mm-hmm. is still here from Facebook. So Facebook gets the credit. When we know, no, the email did all the hard work there and it's not getting any credit. So if, if you are not doing things like making sure every single link in your email is, has mm-hmm. UTM codes on it, you will be giving artificial credit to other channels that they don't
1: deserve. And Facebook is greedy. They're going to take as much of the credit as possible <laughs> even if they had nothing to do with it. They're going to say, "Nope, that's mine. I take that now."
0: Exactly. So you got to make sure that again, you're you, like Katie was saying, using UTM codes everywhere Mm -hmm. except on your own website. So on your Twitter channel on your on your profile in your YouTube videos, wherever it is that you have links, make sure that that you have those tracking codes. And if you don't like the way that they look, use a URL shortener of some kind. So it looks pretty um, when it's when it's assembled. Now, speaking of URL shorteners, one of the challenges there is that if you embed that UTM code in a shortener, and somebody copies and pastes that um, to a different medium, Whatever is hard coded in there is still going to get credit. So if I take, for example, if I tweet something that has a shortened URL with my UTM codes in it, and mm-hmm. somebody copies and pastes that to, say, a Facebook post,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Twitter is going to get the credit, even though right. the refer will will show up as Facebook, right? It'll show up down here as Facebook because there's a UTM code. The UTM code will overrule it. So make sure that <coughs> if you are uh, using UTM codes in URL uh, URL shorteners, you know, you understand that it, it will give credit to the the channel you originally set it to, even if it crosses to other channels.
1: It's definitely not a perfect system. You know, it's not without its flaws, as is most technology. And it, you know, I can see where. Well, you're telling me I need to have UTM tracking codes for every single link outside of my website it's not as daunting as it sounds, if you set yourself up for success in the first place. So if you're creating UTM parameters, one by one for every individual link using like Google's UTM builder, that's a great place to start, but that's not sustainable. The better way to do it is to set yourself up with some sort of a spreadsheet with formulas built in that can automatically create these and you can create them in bulk. Um, you know, if you're looking for something like that, you know, definitely hit us up uh, at trust Insights.ai. we can help you with that. We've built those before. So if you find yourself creating a lot of uh, UTM parameters or tagged URLs, but you're finding it just hard to keep up with, you know, definitely try to find a way to automate that part of the process. Because that's going to save you time. And it's also going to help ensure that you're getting them correct out of the back, because if you're just creating them one by one by one, that monotony and that repetitiveness is where errors start to happen. And you could start miscoding things and mistagging things and forgetting, did I already create that one? Or when did I use that one? And so that is definitely a part of the process that should absolutely as much as it can be be automated, so that you can then focus on other things, other things that are more important, you know, and take up, you know, more of your valuable time. Than creating hundreds of UTM coded URLs.
0: Exactly. The other thing that you want to do is set up some sort of calibration mechanism to understand what's showing up. So let me show you an example. This is from um, my uh, personal website. These are the things that lead to newsletter subscriptions for me. We have organic search. Thirty percent of of my subscriptions come from organic search. Uh, my own newsletter, which is kind of funny, seventeen uh, percent. Because there's a refer, uh, referral mechanism, medium, etc. When you look at this, Katie, and you see this general layout, what does this tell you about what I should do as a marketer?
1: Can you make it a little bit bigger? Uh, I can. <laughs> I would love to give you advice, but I can't read that.
0: <laughs> right. So organic search, email, medium, <laughs> elegant themes, uh, Twitter, etc.
1: Um. You know. So when I look at this my first thought is, okay, great, you're doing really good on organic search, and you want to continue to build that momentum. Um, You have some social email is obviously prevalent, so you have a decent mix of marketing channels. And so definitely making sure that you're getting the right kinds of referral traffic. So getting your content placed elsewhere. Um, You know, I would review your SEO strategy to make sure that you're getting found for the right things, not just anything, you know, and I know on a previous uh, podcast, we had talked about how one of your top posts is about um, clearing out your nasal passages or some sort of sinus medication. And so if that's the top driver of traffic that's being categorized as Google organic, that's not helping your business at all, because you're being found for the wrong thing. So I would definitely make sure that if you have a very large piece of the pie in terms of your uh, attribution and your channel that it's the right kind of pie and so that it's you're being found for the right thing so i first start with making sure that the data within my seo is good data and if i'm being found for the wrong things i would start to move that stuff out um obviously making sure that your email subscriber list stays clean So that those numbers of, you know, for your email contributing to your attribution uh, stays high. And then, you know, working my way down each of these things. Because the nice thing about this chart, Chris, is that you do have a healthy mix. Uh, Sometimes we'll see uh, clients have, you know, 90% Google organic which is actually a uh, vulnerability, because if something changes, or if they are being found for the wrong things, that it's not actually doing them any favors, or one month, they're really doubling down on email, and then they stop doing it. And then the data, you know, gets all kinds of wonky. So say making sure you're staying consistent with your efforts, and then making sure that you're getting the right kind of uh, traffic and audience from each of these specific categories.
0: What if I told you Google was sort of lying here?
1: I would not be surprised by that.
0: (laughs) So it's not that Google's lying, but I was. i mentioned earlier we sometimes with our, our analytics data we need a calibration mechanism. So one of the calibration mechanisms I have set up on my website is a very simple thing. When people sign up for my newsletter, I say, "How did you hear about me?" right. And I've gone ahead and bucketed them into things like colleague or friend, uh, organic search, social media, and Handley's book, everybody writes uh, public speaking. When we add up these big things, three of the five top sources are offline sources. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, Anne's book it is in digital format, but she sells mostly uh, the paper copies public speaking on stage. Um, Referral from a friend or a colleague at the office. If somebody says, Hey, you should go check out Chris Penn's newsletter, what's the first thing you're probably going to do, you're going to go to Google and type Chris Penn's newsletter, right? Um, and it will come in. And you what you will see is you will see organic search be the most prominent source. So in this case, I'm actually not all that good at SEO, right? What is coming in as <laughs> organic search? No, it's it's true, though, what's coming in as organic search is actually referral traffic from offline sources. And so that changes the dynamic of what it, I would be what I should be doing. For example, to bring this back to UTM tracking codes. If I know that Ann's book is is just crushing it as a, a huge driver lead seven years after she published it. Um, I go and make sure I'm friends with her still. <laughs> and then I say, Hey, can I give you a custom URL just for your book that's easy for people to remember? And then it has the UTM codes baked into it, like I might buy like, you know, uh, Chris likes and book.com and have that reroute reroute in the back end with the proper UTM tracking codes for it to be the book. So that when the second edition comes out, I have a much more clear understanding of, oh, somebody was reading the book and I made a URL that was easy to remember. They type it in. Now I know where that came from. The same thing is true. Uh, we do this a lot uh, when we speak on stage. Uh, we have, you know, where can I get the slides.com, which will take mm-hmm. you to a landing page so we can track that came from speaking. So right. when you're doing UTM tracking codes, when you're trying to figure out how Google assigns things, bear in mind you can do things offline sometimes that make it easier for people to share things and still track what's happening with things like custom URLs. If you're putting up, for example, a billboard on an outside, uh, you know, I think, or a bus wrap or something, mm-hmm. don't have it just be your company's homepage, right? Have it be a custom I'll spend the 20 bucks a year or whatever it costs for a custom domain name, and assign it UTM codes, you know, create like a URL shortener that is just for that medium, so that you can then see here's what happened. When we did this for one of our clients that does a lot of direct mail, they started putting a specific shortened URL with tracking codes in their paper direct mail. And what did we see the month they did that? Oh, actually direct mail is one of the top three drivers of their business. Previously, it was, it was unknown, we didn't know where the traffic was coming from, because they used a custom URL on just a postcard. Suddenly we're like, wow, this thing's really converting. So part of your UTM tracking code strategy and governance has got to be are we making it easy for things in the out- offline world to be trackable once people come online?
1: Well, and that goes back to my analysis of your attribution chart of that's great that Google organic is doing so much hard work for you. The assumption is that you're doing SEO correctly, but it's digging into each of those channels to make sure that the data in there is actually correct. And so you've just pointed out that it wasn't. And so there was an exactly. opportunity. Refine it even more.
0: Exactly, and in this case, to to uh, blow up an assumption that you know search was the thing. It actually Mm -hmm. isn't the thing. It's referrals, and so that might change my strategy. To go, well, I'm apparently pretty good at referrals. Maybe instead of you know optimizing my site and chasing inbound links stuff, maybe I go and do more guest podcasts, maybe I go and do more. Um, con- you know, anytime somebody says, Hey, would you contribute a blurb for my book or help me write a chapter of my book? Maybe I say yes, uh, more often, because it clearly is something that I'm, I'm good at. So uh, to wrap things up here, knowing the order of operations is so important when it comes to Google Analytics to understand how the software makes the decisions it makes and as much as possible to interrupt google 's guessing game by providing it the data. remember UTM stands for you tell me, we have to tell Google this is what we want you to know
1: yep, absolutely um, you know so basic takeaways Google prioritizes itself first because it 's a narcissist, then it says if you 're spending money, paid comes next, and then everything else falls in after that
0: exactly and don 't let Google guess tell no. Google what you want it to know. If you've got questions about anything we've talked about in today's episode, head on over to trustinsights.ai slash analytics for marketers, our free slack group with over 1800 people uh, having discussions about analytics all day, every day. And if you uh, wherever it is you're watching or listening to the show, if there's a channel you prefer to get it on, go to trust AI slash ti podcast, where you can find the show on most places that you can consume podcasts and videos. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll talk to you soon. Need help making your marketing platforms, processes, and people work smarter? Visit trustinsights.ai today and learn how we can help you deliver more impact.